Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the show. I am Katie Dalebout, your host of this podcast, as well as the author of the new book, Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, which is out now and has been out for a while. So before we get into today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about my book and just thank everyone who has bought the book, who is using the book. It's been so fun to meet people while I've been traveling. I've just been having a blast seeing your shelfies of the book on Snapchat and on Instagram. And shelfies meaning pictures of you with the book, pictures of the book on your shelf, using the hashtag let it out book they've been so fun to see keep them coming i love seeing you snap pictures in your local barnes and noble or your bookstores it's so fun to see so thank you so much for buying the book reading the book it's really cool now that it's out of me it's now there for you to have your own experience and it's really kind of a greatest hits of me of everything i've learned over the past you know three or four years or so from doing the podcast and a lot of things that I've read and I did a lot of research for the book and it's just so cool to have it out there. So if you bought it on Amazon or even if you didn't, if you wouldn't mind, if you liked it, leaving a review on Amazon, it would be so helpful and I'd really appreciate it. So that would be really cool and while you're tossing reviews out, you might as well if you haven't already or you know, just if you like the show, it'd be so cool if you could hop on over to iTunes and leave a review for the podcast and subscribe to the podcast on your phone. That is a really great way to not miss any episodes. And I'm actually going to be releasing some bonus episodes. There's going to be some really great bonus content coming your way because it's actually my birthday week. So just stay tuned for that. The best way is to be subscribed on iTunes and be on my email list. And when you join my email list, you get the quick start guide to living in the wellness wonderland, aka Katie's favorite things. And it's all my favorite foods, my favorite apps, my favorite podcasts, my favorite books, my favorite movies, videos, everything you could ever want to know that inspires me. And I get to really be a curator to bring you content, which is what I do with the podcast. And I'm really just an enthusiast. I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiast. And that's what the quick start guide is. So that's over on my website. Very easy to find. Link is in the show notes. And today's show is amazing. Emily Nolan is here to chat with us on everything from topless yoga to being a model, and she's way cool. I wanted to have her on the show for a while, and now she is here, so let's get into the interview. But really quick, actually, one more thing to ramble about. I have some dates for you for me coming up, traveling for my book tour a bit, having some events that I get to meet you guys, sign books, hang out. It's going to be super fun. First one coming up is May 14th. I will be having my local Detroit launch party at Red Hook in Detroit, and it's going to be so much fun. My friend's juice company, Drought, will be there. There'll be samples of juice. My other friend who makes these local journals that I've talked about a lot, it's the beautiful one that I use for like my quote journal. She's going to be there with her handmade, really beautiful art 
journals that you can have and buy and they're so beautiful so she will be there it's going to just be a really great time there's a block party going on in the west village that day so it's going to be a great time if you live close or even near in any way you should come it's going to be a blast then I will be in LA the end of May, and May 21st is my launch party there. So more info on that, how to get tickets, how to RSVP, will all be in the show notes on my website, and I will be releasing more information as I go. And there's even more dates, even more things I'm doing. On May 28th, I'll be in Columbus, Ohio, doing an event at the Barnes & Noble there with my BFF, Simi, who you guys all, again, know from the podcast. So lots of cool things coming up. I'm probably going somewhere near you. I hope I get to meet every single person listening to this podcast. And I'm trying to talk really fast so we can get into the interview. And let's just go ahead and do that now. Talk to you guys soon. Love you. Welcome back, everyone. I could not be more excited for today's interview. I have so much in common and promote so many of the same things when it comes to food and body and yoga and life. And so for those of you who don't know, Emily Nolan is here. And let me introduce you to Emily if you don't know her. But I'll just give you some highlights before she really introduces herself to all of us. But she's a model and the founder of Topless Yoga, which is a bras on bellies out self-confidence events that are all over the country and they're a tool to promote self-love which I absolutely love and it's all about exposing vulnerabilities and practicing radical self-acceptance so it's so exciting to have you here Emily thank you so much for being here thanks Katie I'm really excited too yay okay so Topless Yoga is amazing, and your website, My Kind of Life, is amazing. But I would love to know a little bit more. I'd like to zoom the lens back and know about how you got to where you are. Sure. That's a great question. I think a lot of people are interested in that because what I do is really unique. So to start my, let's say, post-college career, I was on Capitol Hill working. Then I worked for my family's foundation and did a little real estate investment and financial stuff in terms of like managing portfolios and all the boring stuff. (laughs) And I was scouted by a modeling agent when I was in working with my family and with um, in politics and whatnot. And the agent said I could get paid to travel the world. And so that sounded really enticing. And I said, you know what, I'm, I think I was like 20, Two when she told me and I waited a year thinking is this really financially feasible can I take this risk on and this is during the height of the recession it had just the market had just crashed and I just thought it was crazy and it was exciting and I was young and resilient and had a lot of grit and I just thought you know what now or never and I want to see the world whatever that costs me you know, I'll do whatever it takes. And so I started modeling a year later as a plus size. Well, I started as a straight size model and worked with Elite in Miami. I was a size zero, um, not a runway size zero, but like commercial clothing. I was probably a size four runway. And um, I had serious disordered eating for about 10 or 12 years. And that was like, in the, you know, it had come and gone. And my disorders had shifted from, you know, binging to starvation to bulimia or anorexia or 
body dysmorphic disorder. It was all over the board, and I think a lot of people can understand that or relate to it if you've had any type of disordered eating. It kind of all comes together, and you try whatever it takes to to be thin or to feel worthy. And I decided that I wanted to be a plus-size model, and I was sick of one of the relationships I was in, and I uh, left him and called up the agent and said, I want to be a plus-size model. She said, great, gain five pounds. And that was all I had to do. And I instead gained 50 and felt so comfortable in my skin. I started plus-size modeling. I moved to Miami and met my husband when I moved to Miami for modeling season. He was my neighbor. And I started modeling. It was slow in the beginning, but... I was young and <clears throat> eager to learn, so I opened up like a raw vegan catering company. I kind of scrambled and did it, did what I could entrepreneurially to continue this career of modeling and this dream of traveling the world. Then I moved to, I got engaged, I moved to New York for modeling with Wilhelmina in New York, and then it, my career really took off, started traveling the world, and all along I had really even though I felt empowered to be a plus-size model, I should color in a little background for everyone listening and just let you know that you know plus-size model can be a size 6 to a size 18. And typically like a 6 to a 16 is what a board or an agency will bring on as talent. And I had been all of those sizes during my time as a plus-size model. So uh, you can you know gather that you know, I had some type of a body image disorder or eating disorders because I had flip-flopped from so many different sizes. And I talk about that a lot on my kind of life and on my Instagram and on Snapchat and whatnot. Um, so I struggled severely in, in, in my own privacy with my body image. And because of that, had several plastic surgeries, including like, you know, I had my, um, a breast augmentation and I had liposuction all over my body in 16 different areas, which I'm, I, it's crazy. And you think about it and I have something called factor five, which is a blood clotting disorder. And so every time I decided I wanted to change my body, which is actually very common in the plus size modeling industry. And they won't tell you because there's a lot of shame behind it because we're supposed to look curvy naturally and in fact a lot of us are sculpted or enhanced or you know whatever whatever these girls are doing their lips are done and whatnot um a lot of it is the same as being a, a straight size model it's just like a larger size um so i had a lot of shame behind it and it was things that were encouraged by my agency and accepted, you know, widely accepted in the industry and at the same time talking about it was shamed and, you know, I, I just, I couldn't live with myself and thought, God, there's so many people that are going through this shame, not just models, but people in general that, you know, they have disordered eating or they really have shame about the way their body looks or there's things they can't talk about and it, it doesn't even have to really do with body image. It could do with sexuality or relationships. And so I just started 
talking a little bit about the truth on my kind of life. I started talking about disordered eating because in some sick way, it's socially acceptable to have uh, disordered eating as a model. So I felt like it was safe territory for me to start my journey. And when I started talking about that, I thought, okay, well, this is like my dipping my toe into um, how clients in terms of like my modeling clients uh, and my agency will react to me talking about the truth. And I'm just kind of going to test the water. So I dipped my toe in the water and I started talking about disordered eating and one thing led to another and I started to talk about, I think the next thing was, um, what was it? It might have been liposuction or plastic surgery. I think it was like getting a breast augmentation, which is like every plus size model, almost every model has done something like that and um, then I started talking about liposuction and the last surgery was really shameful for me because it was something that I hid from my family and I you know went under surgery without saying you know I thank you I'm grateful for everything you've given me and with the risks that I take with the blood disorder for factor five you know it's like it's common that some people just have such an issue with surgery that they um, they pass during surgery because of clots. And um, I had been taking Lovenox and injecting myself for a month before surgery and a month after surgery to try and prevent that clotting and that risk. But as you can tell, like, and gather from, you know, just this short bit of me explaining my background, and I'll get to how I started topless and whatnot, but that... I was in so much pain to try and look a certain way and look away look a way that media wanted me to look and yeah. wanted me to act and so because of that I started topless and it was really this cathartic event topless yoga where I just felt like for once I wanted the universe to accept me and my size and just treat me like you know an animal in the wild like we never look at a tiger or a bear and be like, you're fat, tiger, yeah. or like, your stomach rolls, you know, like, it's just nature, and it's beautiful, and it comes in all sizes, and, you know, it fluctuates, and it's, I think about it like water, you know, the water rises, and then it dissipates, or goes back, and it's calm, and it's it's chaotic, and I think, you know, our bodies are there's so much water in us that I can only relate to say like, you know, especially as a woman, everything I do will fluctuate. And that's beautiful because the ocean and the sea is always beautiful, no matter what the tide is or, you know, how swollen it is. So I started to liken my body to nature because I thought like what media is telling us and the pressure that we get from culture and society to look a certain way isn't true and what's true is what we see in the world so I decided to get some of my friends together in Miami Beach and just to do a body empowerment meditation with our shirts off and I filmed a video for it on my kind of life and it was the first video I'd ever done it was just produced by Mary Beth Coth a local uh, cinematographer she does more like documentaries and it was simple. It was so simple. We just sat on the beach. And from that moment, 
the vice president, executive vice president of branding and community at Lululemon caught it on my Facebook feed because we're friends and we had met at a mind body green retreat uh, a few months prior. And she said, you know, whatever you want, we will support you. We love this message and it's just so real. Right. And so I just started saying, okay, well let's do a yoga class where we all take our shirts off and just embrace who we are in exactly the state we're in now and you know some people would come into this yoga class and you know there are times where even I as the one speaking at the classes felt like god I'm the fattest person fattest version of myself today or I'm so stuffed and I'm bloated or sometimes it was even like oh I feel so skinny and then when the pictures came out from the event it was like oh, wow, like I thought I looked a lot thinner than that. And so it was, I just kept doing it and kept doing it because I know it felt so right to accept people for exactly how they are. And in a way, it's like exposing our vulnerabilities by taking our shirts off and practicing in our bras and supporting each other in our own truth and that we are beautiful just the way that we are. And I know that sounds cliche and overused in so many (laughs) different ways, but... It's really true, and it's something that topless it it reminds us that you know our skin is good enough, and not that we need to strip down and be nude all the time and live in a nudist colony, but you know we don't need all these labels protecting us to try and you know build our ego or like make us seem more likable. In fact, we are most likable when we are truthful and honest and sharing you know what we are shameful about because when we can share our shame you know there's there is no more shame because we realize oh wow like she's got the same issues that I'm going through and you know that person's going through it too and in fact it's all of us so that's how topless got started and what else let's see I'm doing that's perfect. Yeah. I think I think Brene Brown has this quote that like shame cannot exist when or it can't live when it's shared. You know, sharing it yeah. um, dissipates it. And I think you know your story is so relatable and maybe kind of blown up and heightened because you were in the modeling industry. But even without being in the modeling industry, I think that so many women have the exact same experience, maybe just not quite so, um, you know, visible because, or heightened, like I said, because, you know, you are in the limelight and it's your career, your job was so focused on your body. But I think no matter what we do as women, we're, we're judged on our bodies. You know, there's so much um, thin privilege and fat stigma and craziness with the beauty standards that we're all constantly judged on the basis of size and weight every single day. So of course we um, are insecure and of course we think about our bodies in these these negative ways. So getting back to, like you said, the animal-like wonder of our bodies of like, wow, look what our bodies can do. There's nothing wrong with them because they don't fit this arbitrary standard of beauty that was set out for us um, in all these crazy ways because the the funny thing about the beauty standards, and I'm sure that like you know this as well, is that you know we end up idolizing what is rare and what is difficult to attain and what costs money to attain, which right, right. now in our society is a thin body shape, you know. And so 
showing that that, you know, showing people a different way to see it is so beautiful. And I'm just so incredibly, like I could be moved to tears just hearing your story because I'm so incredibly grateful for the work you do. And I'm just so happy to know you and have you on my show and to be able to promote you and work with you because like I said, it's just, it's been my biggest struggle. It's been your biggest struggle. And for most of the people listening, like a lot of people listen to my show because they can relate to me and you. And, um, and so many women have, like you said, disordered eating. I, I think there's this statistic that um, 75% of women ha- are disordered eaters, you know, or have been at some point in their lives. And of course they have when, when the standards of beauty is, are as crazy as they are. So this is just so great to be having this conversation. And I'm just so grateful for the work you do. I just wanted to interrupt and honor you. Hmm. Well, I'm equally, I'm flattered and I'm so happy with the work that you're doing and so grateful. So it's there, totally a sisterhood and teamwork. It doesn't, oh, it's not so one person. Is. It yeah. so is. Like whenever I see anyone doing the similar work to me about body image and um, exactly, you know, what we're talking about right now, I'm just so happy. And I literally am just like, go girl, like, oh, yes, more, more. Like, I want there to be more. I want, because if we have any chance of shifting things, we need so many more voices. And I, and I often say this, but, you know, sharing any message, whether it's spirituality or yoga or, um, you know, anything with body image, people are going to resonate with different people. You know, some people will hear the message through you, Emily, some people through me, some people through, you know, all different people who are doing this. It's like Mexican food, you know, people come, people like tacos, people like nachos, but at the end of the day, they're all getting the same nutrients, you know, they're all getting the same message from all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really good. Um, I'd like to, I wrote down a couple of things I wanted to like flesh out from your story. So when did, would you say the disordered eating started for you? I know you said it started even before um, you got into modeling. So it was something, was there a point in your childhood or in, in college or like where did you think that that, where was that moment where you realized that your body wasn't good enough and you wanted to change something about yourself? Sure. So I was 14 and I was going grocery shopping with my mom. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we picked up a Vogue magazine in the the line to check out. <clears throat> and I went to probably the centerfold of the magazine and saw Giselle Bunchen in a Cavalli campaign where she was stepping into the pool. I don't know if you remember that one. Totally remember it. Yeah. And I just thought, I was 14 and I thought, you know what? Like, is that what it takes to be loved? And so from there, I started, I don't know, I just came up with it. Maybe I read it somewhere, but I started doing fat-free. And everything had to be fat-free. And so for a while, I was only eating apples. And because I didn't realize, like, there were other things that didn't have fat in them. And I think fat-free was the craze at the time, too. So maybe I just picked it up socially or from a TV show or whatever. But... Um, that's what it was. It was looking at that magazine and, and thinking, oh, wow, like significantly different than the way I look when I step into a shower. Like I have, you know, it was that like comparison and the evils of, of looking at one and saying like, I don't see me in this magazine. You know, I, everyone looks like this long torso, 
you know, Giselle. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that was the first moment. So something else that, that you mentioned there about, like, the social craze, and that's something that I really, you know, still to this day, to be honest, I struggle with, with the fact that, you know, back then it was low fat. Now it's the health movement. I think people, it, which is great in a lot of ways, and I know you and I both, like, love to eat whole foods and healthy foods as much as the next guy, but we also, you know, aren't judging ourselves regardless at this point. But I think what's difficult is, you know, as the the danger with the health movement that, you know, people often hide behind it when really it's a diet, but they're just, you know, using health as a way to manipulate their, their size and weight. And so with that, you know, it's what I struggle with now is that people just don't, it's become such a part of the dialect and, you know, you're bad if you eat this and you're good in the moralizing of, of health, right? And of oh, food. Yeah. And so how do you handle, you know, people who maybe don't understand what you do or your message or where your past has been with food and body image and are, you know, getting into healthy eating and living and, you know, maybe taking it to an extreme or, or maybe not, but there's just so much judgment there and moralization of health and that's something that I struggle with, which is like, you know, the conversation, like you said, it can be kind of a, for women, it can be kind of this like club of like, you know, maintaining a weight or counting calories or doing paleo or doing raw, like whatever. Like, how do you navigate that, those waters? <laughs> oh, that is a long and great question. And <laughs> Super long. I, I'm going to tackle part of it because I'm passionate about <clears throat> some of the stuff you were saying about this obsession that we have with, you know, I hate to use the word because it's such a great word, but like wellness is right. such a beautiful thing, but we've taken it and made it like a Nazi group. And, you know, if there's tons of orthorexia going on where people are obsessed with, you know, getting the healthiest food possible, which I can understand where that sentiment came from. I want to feel healthy. I want to feel good. I have stomach issues but we're taking so much out of our diet and for and this is something I don't really I don't discuss I just wrote an article about why I don't share my food but um, I was vegan for eight years and strict vegan very strict I would go to Germany <clears throat> and be working on a photo shoot there and only eat pretzels that hadn't been um, glazed with egg white and they weren't allowed to slice it in half and put all because in Germany they'll cut it in half and put all these veggies and cheese and all this good stuff in it and I was just so strict and I didn't want I was I just had read the China study and thought I'm gonna get cancer if I eat anything that's not vegan and so it was just it was so I lived in a box basically and looking back I'm like how did I do it and um I'm one of my girlfriends, Michaela Rubin, who is a holistic nutritionist and chef. She cooks for people like the Dalai Lama. She's just such an interesting, intelligent young woman. And I said, Michaela, like, I'm not comfortable talking about food anymore because there's so many people in the world that are qualified to talk about food. And there's even more people in the world who aren't qualified that are talking about food and making up these diets and, you know, creating these sensation 
things like paleo or vegan or chigan or pegan, you know, like all of these different offshoots of these diets and, um, and low carb and, you know, low fat, I've done them all. And then, you know, it's, you get stuck into this, like, you know, for me, I got stuck into this box of like, she's strictly vegan. And I said, you know, like, I'm not, I don't want to be labeled anything anymore because like everything should be intuitive. And I think that's where a lot of us lie now is like, we should just go back to saying like, I just want to eat healthy food wherever I'm at. If I'm traveling, I want like local food from Germany. Or if I'm going to the heartland of America, like I'm going to have food that you find there, which is normal. You know, I think that's just the way that we were designed to be as humans. And, um, so anyway, I think that what's really important is that we eat to feel good and we kind of create, you know, our own diet, if you will, with, you know, and I would say the most important thing is to work with people who are really intelligent with food and to kind of block out all of those like articles and I'm a, well, so I write for Mind Body Green, but you get a lot of these articles on the website that are written by people that had just graduated from like a nutrition school. Like I went to Cornell and did their master's program for plant-based nutrition, but I still don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about nutrition because it's so one-sided, um, you know, and just like one semester, you know, of, of learning about nutrition makes me qualified to tell everyone in the world like that they need to eat that way. No, I don't think so. So I'm just, I'm in this point of my life where I don't even like to share pictures of my food anymore because I don't think that girls who follow me that have had disordered eating need to be comparing themselves or their diet to what I'm eating. Um, There's certainly a lot of people in the world that they could compare themselves to and think like, oh, that looks like a healthy recipe that I could make and not like, oh, what did she eat in a day? And you know, it was like a green juice and a tiny little salad and, yeah. you know, like a tiny little plate of noodles. Like, I, I don't know. Like That's just, to me, I think that's bonkers. And it's also this media sensation where we just, I don't know, we're like all martyrs wanting to like kill ourselves over our diet. And there's so much more beauty to life that's like enjoying the food and enjoying the the moment of sitting down with your family and not feeling like you can't eat there at that restaurant because there's no food there for you. And how many moments of my life did I like not even go to family function or just not even converse with my family because, you know, we went to like a cafeteria or whatever, you know, like whatever, like eat and just enjoy life. It's so short and beautiful and the moment of just being with your family that energetics of like that positive vibe and the love there is that's like healthy yeah and and I'll just expand a little bit more Michaela Rubin who I was talking about previous told me about energetics and how food and I don't obviously I'm not qualified to talk about this but food is really how you accept it so you know, like the studies were done on plant-based nutrition and I'm sure like eating plants are wonderful and I think that's a qualified answer, but it's interesting that 
energetically, like how we accept food is really how it reacts in our body. So if you have guilt behind something, you know, our body will feel like guilty. But if you have love behind something, it'll be like, okay, like here's some energy we can use. Like, I'm so glad you took care of yourself and did something like warm and like sweet or whatever you want. And he told me me about the apple experiment have you seen that where they yes. cut it in half oh my and you talk one apple half the apple negatively and the other one really positively and she said like that's the way food is is you it's energetic it's all energy calories are energy and so I just that was kind of my turning point from being strict vegan to saying like oh I don't have guilt anymore when there's cheese on my salad or like, it's not a big deal if there's egg in my dressing or, you know, like if I want a piece of fish on my salad, like, okay, like many blessings and I'm so grateful and like, thank you for serving me this, you know? So I kind of shifted my thought process so that I can travel the world and have these amazing relationships with people and energetically feel like whole and not guilty. Yeah, that's such a beautiful story to share. And and you're right. I mean, as humans, we have so few sensory pleasures. To deny one of them completely is just crazy. You know, our ancestors would have been so confused as to why we're <laughs> constantly trying to eat the smallest amount possible when there's so much food available, <laughs> you know? And and I, I mean, I wonder if you relate to this. I think for me, you know, I was listening to your story and kind of thinking – thinking about my own and I think for me my my vegan and my raw vegan and you know whatever I did after that um, was really you know I found those parameters very comforting I found a lot of comfort in being able to be known as that you know oh Katie eats this way she's not going to have any of that or you know I can't go to this restaurant or I can't can't do that or I'm going to just get like I didn't have to think about it it was just like it was what I was doing and I didn't have to – I just was able to put myself in this box and it becomes comforting when it's like, you know, a way for you to deny yourself these pleasures. And you almost – if you get really into it, like you in Germany, you don't realize in that in that <laughs> moment, like you're missing out. You're just kind of like, this is what I do. And, and oh, then yeah. for me, there was so much judgment attached to it and I just was – I was basically like – I remember, as crazy as this sounds, you know, like sizing up everyone's plate all the time. Like, oh, <laughs> that food combination, damn. Or like, you know, yeah. her, she's eating that. Oh, man. Like, But really, it was like, I wish I could eat that and be okay with it was really what the judgment was. And it was right. judgment towards myself because anytime we're judging anyone else, it's it's toward ourselves. So it's just crazy. And now I'm, I'm just such a cooler person because <laughs> my, I'm not – constantly it takes a lot of energy and willpower to control your body and to control your diet so much and to not eat intuitively and to focus on these things it takes so much willpower and I think that's why people are so there's so many health bloggers and there's so many food instagrams and it's like food 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 all the time and youtubers and whatnot because people are needing support to be able to do this thing that's really unnatural and really difficult so they're you know getting the support from people who are also in this maybe disordered spot 
by you know sharing on online all the time and do you do you think that that might um be something that's happening right now as we see so many more people kind of going down that path and then coming out the other end kind of where we are now so do i think that bloggers are creating this environment and support system for people in these diets yeah i mean i'm sure there's there's both cases i'm sure it's not of course everyone but i think you know sometimes there might there's always more to the story that we might not see in the beautiful pictures yeah absolutely well you know it's trendy so there's you know some people that will ride that wave and then there's some people that have rode that wave and decided not such like not a fulfilling wave, right? Like it could fulfill a lot of people, and I know many people where it seems to fulfill them in a way. But um, yeah, I mean, it's this. Like I said, it's this sensational thing. Food should, you know, I like to think that food should not be the only conversation, but it should create conversation. So it should gather people and create, you know, loving environments. But because we want what we can't have as human beings that we decided like, oh, we're going to start this marketing thing and we're going to tell people they can change their body if they just like, you know, don't eat like they normally do and switch up their eating patterns. You know, like who was the first person that created a diet? I don't know. And it's become so normalized. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, like I I wrote an article, um, was several days ago and it's, I just said that, you know, I lived with, it was actually an Instagram post on my, one of my most recent posts. It said that I had lived with 12 years of disordered eating, thinking that everyone ate that way and that it was completely normal. And then, like, I kept it a secret. And then when I finally started talking about it and went to outpatient therapy in college, I decided, like, oh, maybe it's not so normal, or maybe it still is normal, but so many people aren't talking about it. And like you said, 75% of people, and I don't know if that's a NIDA uh, statistic, but I know three out of four women diet constantly or diet almost all the time is one of the the statistics on the National Eating Disorder Association. And uh, I, yeah, I think, and to get back to your question, I definitely think that there are bloggers that, create that um, support system and and it's kind of like it's dangerous territory because you know they're getting paid and I was getting paid to be a vegan blogger so I was promoting all these vegan products and getting paid to do it which is it's 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 exciting you know and so you kind of get trapped and then you're like well you know, I'm not a vegan anymore. What do I do? You know, I'm like, now can I promote any food products? You know, how do I change my business model? So I went through that shift a couple of years ago as, um, you know, as being touted as some body image warriors, a plus size vegan model. And now I'm like, why would a model talk about food? You know, or like, where's my qualification that's you know where I could write a book about food and and I don't mind talking about it because we should have conversations around everything but when have I ever been like a MD or PhD um, years of intense studying and scientific projects like no I haven't and all I know is that take a probiotic every day like my stomach has no problems and I can tell you that like that's my science project yeah so 
with kind of the state of the wellness world and like you said it being so trendy in this one particular way you know I think that the word wellness really should mean you know physical wellness but also spiritual wellness and your relationships and your mental health and and all of these these other your space all of these other areas in your life but it's not really associated with that right now because this one area of wellness the, the physical is so revered right now so I would love to know where you would like to see the wellness and health industry in say you know 10 years and also the the beauty industry and in the modeling industry Ooh, that's a great question okay so 10 years I'll be 39 years old and I'll probably have children um, hopefully so where would I want to see the wellness and health industry I think I would like to see it, um, I think it'll probably continue being what it is, so let's be realistic. I think it'll just be like, you know, what it is, but cracked out, and so many different little diets, but um, where would I like to see it? Um, I would, if if anything were possible, I would just like to see um, food as not a conversation, but more of like, if you're ill, you need you need help or you need like a nutritionist, right? Like if you've got loony in your head, you need to go to like a psychiatrist. Right. And so I, I think I would like to see it like that where it was almost less of a conversation or if it was a conversation, it was more about nutrition and feeling good. And um, I can imagine talking to my children about, you know, like, well, what are you in the mood to eat? Um, you know, even where did this come from, who grew it, all of these questions are so cool and possibly even growing my own food. I think that's what I would like to see for the health and wellness industry in terms of food, um, spirituality. I just, I watched two movies uh, recently, documentaries. Have you seen I Am? Yes. Yeah, it's so good. Amazing, right. Um, and then I watched one last night. I've been interested not in doing it, but just in the plant medicine itself in ayahuasca because there's a lot of people in Miami doing it, and I want to understand what they're doing and why. So I watched this this documentary called Ayahuasca, the Vine of Spirit or of Mother or whatever, and it was really interesting because one of the points they made was um, one of the guys that was journeying into trying ayahuasca and doing a documentary on it said, you know, he grew up without a foundation of spirituality and he felt like that was missing in his life. And so he always felt like kind of this free molecule, like loose wheel where nothing ever was connected. So he was doing this journey to, um, maybe like find spirituality or he wasn't sure what what was going to happen and he ended up finding like this really deep connection to mother earth and the world um and for me i grew up as a southern baptist in a very southern virginia northern virginia family where my dad's from alabama my mom was from texas you know i was my preschool was at the church and then my family got divorced my parents got divorced and from that moment, I I turned into this like angsty atheist, and I you know then in high school I started going back to church and listening to what people said about spirituality, and it was a non-denominational church, 
And um, in college, I was kind of like, eh, I'm not so crazy anymore. So I was like, you know, angsty again and conflicted like every college woman is. And then after college, I just started thinking like, you know, people like Rob Bell blow my mind. Yeah. And his story, like that whole uh, Christian mysticism. And I can't say that there's one thing that is true. I, I just think all of spirituality is so beautiful and so important. And we lack that in such a modern world. And it's so nice to have spiritual leaders of all, from all backgrounds um, teaching us about stories. Even like for me, the story, just listening about to Jesus and his crucifixion and how he would talk about forgiveness. You know, like for me, forgiveness is such a powerful uh, lesson. And one of my favorite quotes is, forgiveness is the f- fragrance the violet sheds onto the heel that crushes it. And what a lesson to learn, right? Like, a, mm. what a life lesson. And that's spirituality-based, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's so great. I think going back to the wellness industry in, in 10 years, I, I hope that it can be, you know, shifted because enough – right now it's so saturated with, like you said, the – nutritionists and the health coaches and there's just so many of them and I I see that growing and growing and growing but I also hope that voices like us you know also increase and showing you know another side of it and that you know that is is popular as well and and almost trendy as well because I know for me um, and I wrote about this in an article recently too that like you almost feel and you talked about this a little bit that you're like invited into this exclusive club when it comes to, you know, being the, the, the vegan or, you know, just into health and wellness in general. It's like, you know, this, this trendy thing that like everyone from Jay-Z and Beyonce are doing and you were doing before that kind of. And so it's like you're, you're part of this, this craze and then we're saying that we're not anymore. So I kind of want to make this other thing trendy and cool as well by having conversations like this and you know and 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 doing things to to make that cool so by the time your kids are growing up there will be another way way to see it but do you I often get kind of frustrated with the fact that you know us talking about this comparatively with the bigger conversation of you know green juice and veganism and restricting your diet and work out more and eat less is so much there's so many more voices there so do you ever get discouraged of you know our message being there's more people there's so many people that need it I guess with that that's kind of the good thing with the growth of of the traditional health and wellness but do often do you ever get discouraged with you know that maybe it's not as popular as those things Yes, 100%. And I just went through this like mini anxiety attack the other day and told my husband like, oh my God, you know, what am I doing? I just feel like my, what I'm doing is worth so much more. Um, It's just what we're doing, Katie, is plowing this path, you know, and there were people that did this for the green juice and like health and nutrition, um, that road too and it's so hard to be this 
paving entrepreneur when this is all new territory for us to um, not be obsessed with something, you know, like, well, who's going to support us if they're, or who's going to like have us review their products or, you know, like endorse us or sponsor us if like we stand for just being intuitive, you know? Yeah. And so, it, and actually, there are brands that are really interested in that now, um, because I I really do believe that this is an area that hopefully is maybe or maybe as big or hopefully larger than the area that we we came from in terms of like dieting and holistic nutritionists and whatnot. Um, and. I was going to make one more point on it. Maybe I'll remember it later, but yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It can, it can just seem like I, that really helped me actually. So thank you. Cause I'm, I, I feel like I'm always kind of having that breakdown of like, I want everyone to know this message, but not everyone's ready to hear this message. And, um, and it can, it can be hard, but I really like what you said about, you know, we're paving the way and, you know, other people had to do that for stuff that's trendy right now years ago. So, um, so hopefully, you know, by the time you're, you are 39 and and 10 years, there'll be, you know, more voices like this and and we'll have a bigger platform to share this work that, that, like I said, people need, and I just, I just want them to have so much and, um, you know, it's helped me so much and, and having, you know, you in my life and, and so many other people doing similar things really helps me feel, feel less alone and keep going with, with what I'm doing. So you know, that's why I think it's important that, that everyone has community and supports each other. Cause I don't, I really truly believe that like, it's not possible to love your body fully and accept yourself and eat intuitively at all, unless you have community and, and positive role models, because in a society, in a world, in a culture where all day long, if you open a magazine or watch TV or watch movies or just go to a coffee shop and overhear people talking about, you know, yeah. inputting their stuff in my fitness pal and, you know, the, what how many calories their muffin had and how much they hate their body <laughs> and how much they're going to run to work it off and like, you know, you can't turn on anything without someone to telling you that your body's not good enough and what you ate isn't good enough. And so yeah. I think it's important to like I've been saying a million times to have conversations like this and and support. So that's that's so great. And another thing I wanted to ask you too. So about the beauty and modeling industry, where do you do you see that ever shifting to, you know, be a bit more, I mean, you are in the plus size modeling world, which is amazing and actually how I found you because a mentor of mine, you know, healing my eating disorder and and body dysmorphia, a, the biggest thing, the most the only proven way to help your body image is exposure therapy. So looking at people your size or bigger that are aspirational, so like plus size models is really helpful. So I would love to see, you know, the plus size modeling industry, like kind of working with that, but also, you know, being more gentle with themselves and just the beauty and modeling industry being more gentle and in general, do you see that, that shifting with more conversation around it? Where do you, where would you like to see it? And where do you kind of see it going? Okay, that's an excellent question. Um, so I left New York City when I was modeling up there because I I really just needed time to stop and reflect. Um, what am I doing? What kind of message am I spreading? And at that point, I wasn't being really honest about my entire story, which was very common for most plus-size models. 
I, when, when I felt like, okay, I'm healed and at least like I'm talking about my story, what I found was even though I had modeled all over the world and was able to make an agent significant amounts of money by working, I was a liability. And that's what I learned is I would go to the agencies and say like, all right, I'm ready to model again. I still have an agency, several of them, large agencies, but in terms of modeling, you have different agencies in different places and whatnot. And all the agencies that spoke English, so in the U.S. or in Canada, thought, or Canada's actually totally different. They're really open to this idea of like, let's talk about the truth. We want to be transparent and be vulnerable, et cetera. It makes you more appealing and more relatable. But in the U.S., a lot of it was like, you are too much of a liability to take on because you're telling the truth, basically. And they couldn't tell me that to my face, but they said, oh, we're so happy to promote your work. We love your work, but we just can't take you on our board. And so I was thinking, oh, how interesting, you know, like because they're like what you're sharing. Yes. They don't want to have a plus size model on their board talking about plastic surgery. And, and like, you know, exposing it and then to be the agency that took that girl on. Like it's too much of a liability. So I just thought how interesting that we're promoting. And I, you know, I, I didn't bring this up and maybe if I was a little bit more like courageous, I would have or um, yeah, but I maybe I'll write about it. And um, it was just interesting to be in a meeting and have them boldly tell me that they want to send, they want their models to be involved in my work, you know, like to say, oh, they're sending their models to my topless fashion week event to promote like body empowerment. But the girls they're sending, guess what? They're the ones that are all like tweaked out, have their bodies changed, plastic surgery, lips like crazy enhanced. And that's cool. I mean, like if that's what you want to do, if it's out of self-love and it makes you feel better, like I'm pro making your own choices and have plastic surgery, whatever. But if you're doing it out of shame and like because we're robots of an industry and like because, you know, you're not feeling loved or worthy in exactly who you are, you know, then there's something, then there needs to be conversation around it. It's not like you should feel ashamed that you've had plastic surgery or whatever. So it was very interesting and a great picture into the modeling industry and where it's going is that, you know, everything, and I know that you know this, especially as a blogger and doing what you're doing now is, um, the, the models and the beauty industry, everything is fake. They buy their followers on Instagram and they buy their likes. And so, like, I, I just followed or I looked at a new model. Willem I didn't even know you could do that. What? <laughs> I didn't even know that you could, like, buy likes Katie. on Instagram. <laughs> Google it. Google it. It's insane. You can, like, there's this new like model. Like advertising? Like Facebook? No. No. Like, you can buy your followers. So you can go from like a thousand followers to a million in a day. Wait, what? But wouldn't people notice? Like, dude. yes, but they're like, no one really like. I mean, I think you probably gradually do it, but this has been going on for so long. Oh my gosh. Okay, you're like blowing my mind right now. I so know. <laughs> I'm like living like, under a rock. Why do people not know this? I have no idea, but it's going on and people don't talk about it because they want to seem very popular as a model or an influencer. And so these agencies are bringing on these girls that buy, like if you go to, 
you can easily find out who's being like fake followed or whatever. And there's these robot accounts that come to, from like uh, these Instagram farms or whatever they call them. Oh and it's on, it's on everything. You can do it on Snapchat too. What? Yeah, everything. Everything. Because these people, these influencers, whether they're models or beauty bloggers or whatever, are getting paid to review products. And so the. So are they robots? Sorry, I'm like, I yeah. can't. So the, are they the robots likers, that are following them? The likers are robots. Okay, and you, so it's not real. It's not like they have real followers then. I mean, it shows up as real. You know, there's no way you can tell unless you go in and, like, click on all the accounts. Right, but they're, like, not promoting stuff to, like, real people who would, like, actually want to hear their message. Right. Well, I think there's, like, a way you can, but I don't – like, there's a a legitimate way that probably large brands do that, you know, and do it well because it's better to have a loyal following than a huge following. Right, But – yeah, it's happening all over. And this new model gets on a board at Wilhelmina. Yesterday I saw this post. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're so excited for, I won't say her name, to be on our board. She's best friends with Kylie Jenner, la, la, la. And they did this whole article on her in Teen Vogue, this crazy article. And they go to her, her Instagram. I'm like, who is this chick? I want to f- figure it out. This is great. Like a young plus-size model. It's exciting. She has like... 56,000 followers and over 2,000 likes on a picture with zero comments. And so it's just very obvious that, you know, like on my pictures, I get like, I don't know, like 500, three to 600 likes, or sometimes I got like a thousand on one, whatever. But, you know, like the comments are like a hundred comments per picture, you know, and people engage and they want to talk about Um, the story that I wrote and these people you can tell they're paying for all of this and just totally faking it and then what happens is that clients will say like I'm not even going to say a company name because I don't want to get in trouble for it but let's just say like any client that's booking a model for a shoot will go onto our social media page and say like okay this girl's going to take pictures at our at our shoot and she's going to post about it and 56,000 people will see it so we're getting more value with her but what they don't realize is that all of those 56,000 people are fake. They're like robots. Farm from India and it's fake. Wow. Yeah, so just blowing it, my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy industry built on um untruth really, you well, know. It's and it's crazy how much social media has even changed the the game in every industry, but in modeling because, you know, Five years ago, ten years ago, that probably wasn't even a conversation. It wasn't yeah. even like an added benefit for them to get exposure from the actual model. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's something that you were asking about, like, how sometimes you struggle thinking, like, am I doing the right thing? Or, like, gosh, it's so hard doing what we're doing, but we're plowing the way. It's so easy for me to go on and just say, like, I'm just going to buy, like, 20,000 followers, you know, because if I did, I would get so much more recognition, right? Like that 20,000 would change my life, which it wouldn't, but yeah. you know, and like it'd it, be fake and it wouldn't be real people. Right. But no, but like you said, like you didn't even know it. And the, most of the world has no idea. Right. And it's just like, I struggle with that thinking like, God, it'd be so easy. But at the same time, like what's the value in having 20,000 fake followers when, you know, 
the ones that I have are so loyal and comment and like are, you know, send me the most intimate stories about yeah. the recovery and addiction and whatever. It's just like, it, yeah, it's, same. yeah, it's one of those like, you know what, I'm just going to be strong and do the right thing and share what I know is like real and authentic and let other people dabble in this fakeness and, you know, it, but exposing the truth is important. Yeah, I mean, I my my following is, is is you know relatively like teeny tiny, but I love them and they love me and they're like my people, yeah. you know, and so I'm grateful for them. And I think, I think too the the thing that I find really interesting, um, is that, you know, in what you were, what we were saying before about about plowing the way, it's I never really question if what we're doing is right. Like I know it's the right thing, but mm-hmm. it's. It's that quote I remember being like on the wall in like my fourth grade classroom of like what is popular isn't always right and what is right isn't always popular. And I remember being that's so (laughs) dumb and stupid and like I want to like be a badass and like not do the right thing. But it's exactly true right now. Like what what I'm doing is right but it's not popular. And I think a lot of people – like I know that like I heard this message for a while of like body image and all this stuff and I was like, ugh, the word body – gross. Like I don't even want to do that. Like ugh. Like, I don't even, like, I, it just sounded so, like, uncool to me. And right. I was just like, I don't want to do body image work. I just want to get thin, you know, like, and then I won't care. And um, and I did, you know, and then it got me into, like, a scary place, you know. So I think it's, um, and then here I am. So I, yeah. I, I think it's it's important to have different voices, like we were saying at the beginning, the whole Mexican food thing, because I think we need to make it cool. Like, I think we need to make body image cool like green juice is now cool and trendy right. and um <laughs> and that, that's the that's the thing that I really like take upon myself and you're doing and because you are like one of the coolest people that I follow and know <laughs> and so it's it's really <laughs> it's really great but it's also like we've been saying it's hard because you know it's it would be so much easier for me to be like green juice and blah, 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 blah. Like I would get followers so much quicker because that's such a mainstream trendy thing. And that's, and also it's what I used to do, you know? So, um, and then when I, when I was doing it, it wasn't even quite as trendy as it is now, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I felt like I was like a trailblazer in that. And then now I'm like, wait a minute, maybe that's not everything. It's part of it, but it's not everything. Right. Um, and, and yeah, so it's, it's just really good. So, okay, just a, a couple more questions I, I want to ask that. you about. This is this is so amazing. So um, <laughs> do you ever still – and this is something that I was thinking about when you were talking about topless before and how, you know, I love the way you described it, and I'm not going to, like, say it as eloquently as you did, but basically how women are exposing themselves and, like, unafraid to sh- – to show their bodies where like I know for me I've gained a ton of weight since my eating disorder my body's changed a ton and of course none of my clothes fit so I had to buy all new clothes and then when I was buying clothes I just before I would wear like really you know trendy cute things and crop tops and everything was really tight and then as soon as I my body changed all of a sudden I like only want to wear like really baggy things and luckily a lot of that's like in style right now and I hope it like never goes out of style because it's so comfortable but like all I want to be in is like caftans and like you know really flowy things which you know are also cute but I've just you know not I I haven't worn a crop top and I just because I think I had this body that like looked like a runway model 
unhealthily and I could never stay there, but I just am comparing myself to myself and so I'm not dressing in that way. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about like style and dress, especially as a model. Like how do you make yourself feel better with with what you wear and how you dress? And also, um, you know, do you ever still have what I call, you know, like bad body image days where, you know, you're wearing something and you feel really great, but you like look at, like you said, a picture of yourself, you're a weird look in the mirror and you're just like spiraling or you like feel bad about yourself or, um, you know, you just don't feel good about yourself that day. And like, so if you do, how do you handle that and shift out of it? Cool. Have you read the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up? Yes. I'm obsessed with it. Me too. So I just I, did my closet. What what's that? You I did just your my closet. closet and my books. I'm like working through it kind of slowly. Amazing. It's such a good process. Oh, and for me, it it really helped me pick my wardrobe out and what I actually what makes me feel joy. Mm-hmm. So her philosophy on hold it, put it on, try it on, does it bring you joy? If yes, keep it. If no, ditch it or give it away. And so I had, I was holding on to so many things that I had worn maybe once, things that still had tags on them that I thought, oh, I'll like fit into them in the summer, you know, or, oh, like I can't breathe when I sit down in these, but they look cute when I stand up, right? Like all of my high-waisted jeans, they like suffocate me, even if they're the right size. Yeah. So I always have to just like unbutton them when I'm driving, just because like they're, they fit like fine. It's not even the size. They just, it just like when you sit, the button like goes in, right? Yes. It's not it just me. into your lungs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure it happens to everyone, but I'm just like more vocal about it because I just, I, when I get little anxiety attacks, which is not often, but it feels like an anxiety attack when I'm in those pants because I can't breathe. Right. You know, it's like cutting into me. So, you know, all of those things I just gave away and I realized what's really important in terms of dressing for me is uh, nailing like my style, which is basic classic things, you know, like the simple black dress, the, I have denim dresses, I do a lot of flannel tops and blue jean shorts, denim shorts and sandals, I'm very casual, I have a few really nice dresses and I'm all about wearing dresses over and over and over and over and over again and I also talk about that on my blog because we, as a culture, don't like to get our picture on Instagram wearing the same thing twice. Like, oh, I've already worn this. People have seen me wear it. Please don't post that picture. And I just think that's so messed up and so new and backwards. And I'm so happy if I find a dress that looks amazing on me that I'll wear it so many times. And I, in fact, I'll buy like a wedding dress for not like a bride dress, but like a dress to wear to other people's weddings. And I'll wear it to everyone's wedding that year. And it's my thing. And I'll yes. buy like one great dress from Intermix and spend like drop a fortune on it or like whatever looks good on me, you know, might not be from Intermix, but buy one dress that brings me so much love and joy and I'll wear the same thing over and over. And guess what? Every time I get to the event, they're like, oh, you look so good. It looks amazing. Oh, you look beautiful. And that dress brings me so much joy. So I keep it simple and I have my favorites. And what's really important is that all of my outfits allow me to breathe. And what I found is when I was modeling is sometimes like, and I still am modeling, but when I was like in New York doing the whole thing and had to look the part, et cetera, 
you know, you wear things that are trendy and things that cut into your stomach and things that don't make you feel confident. And for me, it's really important to pick outfits that make me feel confident, which is basically casual outfits. <laughs> so normally I'm in like a casual outfit. Yoga pants are great. Um, and then what was your second question? Like, do you ever still have bad oh, body image days yeah. or a day when you don't feel good about yourself? And how do you like yeah. shift out of that so it doesn't become a bad body image like week or month? Or Because sometimes, you know, when right. I really struggle with it, it can linger and it can make me feel unmotivated. Right. So my progression through body image and my personal acceptance of it has been insane. It's in the beginning, it started off like, okay, like I'm a plus size model, I'm allowed to be this size. And, you know, to progress into uh, like my first topless event, which was a radical shift for me to take my shirt off in public and practice yoga in my sports bra, even though I'm a lingerie model for plus size lingerie, like underwear, I still thought like, well, I'm not in the studio and I shouldn't expose my body because socially it's still like taboo or unacceptable. And only skinny people do that. And so it, over time, and that was one and a half years ago, two years ago when I started topless. And I ended up continuing this self-love journey where I was talking to myself and all like I started to always go to yoga where when I was always going to yoga, I would always take my top off. And then I started jogging with my shirt off and really like forcing myself to accept myself because I'd written all these rules in my head that I wasn't good enough. And I just, I knew it was all like, you know, sorry to cuss, but like to be, it was bullshit, right? All of this stuff we make up about body image is crap. It's really about the way we feel and getting back to like our organic self and how we feel in our skin. And if there was no size on anything, would you feel fat if you were given a dress without a size and some girl another size was given a dress without a size and you're wearing the same dress like you would just think oh okay like we're wearing the same dress there's no size on it I don't feel any different but I will tell you the other day I was in yoga and every girl in the class was very thin and even the guys were really fit and the only ones with their shirt off were the very thin girls and the very fit guys. And I was in the, the class wasn't that busy. And I thought, oh, that little man that's sitting on my shoulder whispering, you're not good enough to take your shirt off in this class was whispering to me again. And I thought, you know what, you're not going to defeat me. So I took my shirt off. And it was one of those moments where I was feeling really bloated and like fat, right? Like it's the only way I can think about like how I felt. I just felt like the biggest version of myself at the time after Thanksgiving and whatever. And I was like, you know what? Go back to what I know, Emily. I fluctuate and everyone fluctuates. We are nature. We are water. We are all changing. And it's every part of that is beautiful, whether it's the ocean is swollen or the ocean is receding and going back, you know, like I'm beautiful in every stage of my body. And so that's the practice I do like when I'm feeling that self-doubt because there's no way, you know, never say never, but I never want to go back to that moment of such severe self-hate and doubt and sabotage. And I know 
we both know what's true now, you know, like we've been exposed to it. So in a way, like we have to carry that torch and we have to do this for like, you know, social good yeah. and wellness. Mm. So that's where I am in terms of body image. I think that that actually took like a lot of radical self-acceptance. So it's probably more of an outlier's experience. Um, but I think once you understand that what you've been fed in terms of what type of body image is appropriate and what is not or acceptable and what is not, once you understand that that's just crap and it's made up to try and sell you gimmicks and lifestyles that are unattainable, then you have this like social duty to live your life to be brave enough to believe in what you know is to be true, which is, you know, I am nature, I am God, I am a piece of the world, and the world changes, you know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, you're so inspiring. I could listen to you all day. (laughs) So now I want to ask you my signature question. So what does your morning routine look like? What are some of the first things you do when you wake up in the morning? And just give us a, like, picture into your, your morning. Yeah, so I always make my bed first, <laughs> then I make coffee, and I honestly check my emails and usually will go for like a 45, 30 to 45 minute run in the morning, and like three times or four times a week if I can, if I don't have morning meetings, and then I get started writing. And that's if I'm not modeling. If I'm modeling, my call times are usually like 6.30 and I'm on set getting my hair and makeup done and I shoot all day. Cool. What about your evenings? What do you do, the last few things you do before you go to bed and um, how do you wind down and relax at the end of a long day? Hey, I make a cup of tea. I'm obsessed with Rishi's new uh, turmeric and ginger tea. I don't know if you've had it. I saw oh. it either on your Snapchat, Snapchat. or – yeah, I just saw yeah. it somewhere. Yes, yeah, so I was like, oh, my God. You. It is amazing. I mean, I love turmeric and ginger, and together it's just amazing. I'm going to get it. Sounds oh, good. yeah, caffeine-free. So I have that, and then I just read for about an hour, 45 minutes before bed. My husband loves to watch TV. We don't have a TV in our bedroom because I just feel like I like to wind my day down – and watch TV. I also, and then, or watch, read a book, I'm sorry, and then I just pass out. But um, what I also do is I try and eat before 7 p.m. And I try to eat lighter for my dinner and eat heavier during the day, or not heavier, but like eat my larger meal during the day. Um, and which is like, what I would not do when I was going through disordered eating, I would starve myself during the day and sleepwalk at night into the kitchen and eat like an entire tub of peanut butter and a whole box of cereal and just in everything that Weight Watchers was like don't eat whatever so yeah now I I try and like keep my evenings calm if possible if I'm not like going out for a meeting or meeting with another couple whatever so I love that though it makes me feel calm when there's not a lot of energy going into my body in the evening as long as I'm you know satisfied I'm not trying to starve myself but I love to have like a soup um with like some some crackers some Mary's gone raw you know just so good yeah they're so good and they make me feel good and sometimes I want to overindulge you know and I just I know I'm like you know what 
you're going to feel so much better in the morning if you indulge more in the afternoon, you know, because then you can use that energy throughout the day. And I, I love doing that. It works for me. And sometimes I get, you know, screwed up with the holidays and I'm eating late or whatever. But, you know, if I can get back onto that routine, I really like it. And I don't think that it's a diet. I actually think my body responds well to it. And it's not restricting. It's just like it's warm and it's nourishing and it's comforting before bedtime. That's amazing. That's great. What is the biggest goal you're working towards now? Hmm. Biggest goal. That's a great question. Um, well, I have several goals. Um, I'm writing a book, writing my memoir. Yay. Yay. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm working very hard on it and it's definitely, you know, it's one of those things that could impact a lot of people. And so I'm taking it very seriously. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. I'm so glad you're doing that. Okay, so some more quick fire questions. What's your favorite yoga pose? Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, my love-hate relationship with yoga poses is pigeon pose. Sometimes I just love it because it's at the end of yoga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm getting to the end. Shavasana is near, and it's so good for my hips too. I feel the um, same way. Yeah, so I love pigeon pose, but, you know, there's some, like, sometimes triangle feels good because I can work on, like, really trying to expand and get my heart to open up more, like a side angle pose where um, sometimes I'll take my elbow to the inside of my knee and put my, like, if I'm in a left side angle, put my left hand on my belly to remind myself that this is just, like, flesh. And so there's some poses where I can keep maintaining the same posture, but bring my hands to a part of my body that I want to bring more love to. And so side angle seems to be a good one because it's kind of discreet and also heart opening. That's great. I'm going to do that next time I'm in that pose. Yay. (laughs) What's one food you could eat every day? Oh, um, avocado. Yeah. Avocado with Mary's crackers dipped into it. So good. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, what's your favorite place you've ever traveled to? Mm, favorite place I've ever traveled to? Well, I have a lot, but I like to go to Idaho. My family has a house out there, and I feel, like, really connected to nature. And I've been all over the world, so I really enjoy – I, I love so many places, really. Um, but Idaho, there's some, like, grounding sense out in the mountains there. And I just feel very spiritual. Cool. Very cool. What's your favorite thing about your life right now? That I'm able to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Financially, I'm, like, I'm in a safe place. And my husband's very, very supportive. In fact, the other day when we had the conversation, like, is this sustainable? He was like, I like you have worked so hard for this and you have like clawed and and just dug your way to this part of your life like you are the one like you are gonna do this I believe in you and I think I'm just really proud of that I love how supportive he is it's so great yeah it's really comforting what's the time that you've laughed the hardest oh my god um (sighs) You can remember one or one recently. Yeah, that's great. So does it have to be recent? No, whenever. Okay. 
So I just wrote an article about addiction and how I'm sober, but some of the funniest moments came when I wasn't sober, and um, we were drinking one night in college, and we all decided to go to this Irish bar, and I, we had two beach bikes, it was three girls, two beach bikes and rollerblades, and one of the beach bikes had a flat tire, but they were all my bikes and my rollerblades. And so I was like, well, I obviously get the good bike. You get the bike with the flat tire, and you have to ride rollerblades to this Irish bar. This is from our ha- my house. And so the girl with rollerblades was so drunk, and she ended up going down the street, and it was like the smallest hill, but she was going so fast. And she went over this main, like, main street, which there was never any traffic. It was like a country road, and just like totally ate it. And the girl with the flat tire is like, oh, no, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> and her, like, bike wouldn't make it. I was just dying because anything where people, like, don't die but they hurt themselves makes me laugh so hard. And I know it's so bad of me. And it's, it's like, my guilty pleasure. But I just think it's hilarious. And so those, I mean, you know, I've got so many funny stories, like chasing my dog one night before I went out and forgetting the leash, trying to find her, and then carrying back like 55 pounds of lab in heels. Like I'm oh about my to- gosh. Yeah, it's just like, I've got one after the other. And just to like, give you a little more color on sobriety, I chose sobriety, not because I was an addict, but because I like to be sober in terms of like, being close to God. And I feel spiritually like, comfortable in my skin so I did it more from like a body image like I don't ever want to leave my body because I'm working so hard to feel comfortable in it so that's why I chose sobriety cool very cool um okay so now can you please recommend a (laughs) movie a song and a tv show and a book so it can be something you're into lately or it can be something that you like really love but yes in those categories so okay so the movie that I just saw, I Am, was really great. Oh, it was a documentary, yeah. and I think that's a beautiful movie. Um, and then a song, well, I love so many different songs, but the one song that, I mean, my girlfriend Sky Dyer sings it. It's Wayne Dyer's daughter. Yeah. And she sings I Am Light. Oh, yeah, the NDRE song. I think I've yeah. seen her sing it before. Oh, it's so beautiful. She sings it at Topless. And oh, so cool. that song just always, I don't know, it just is so true to, the, to nature, to the world, to yeah. humanity. And book? Hmm. Well, I spent my summer with Cheryl Strait at a writer's workshop. Oh, my workshop. gosh. <gasps> That's so cool. I so I'll recommend Wild. <laughs> wow. Wild and, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy her work in, like, the feminist power behind it and not even just like straight feminist, but just being equal. Right. So I, I think that's always a great book. And then what was the last one? TV show. TV show. Well, I'm addicted to Homeland. Nice. Yeah. I haven't watched it, but maybe I should. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm from Washington DC. So it's all about national security and it's cool. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's why no one could tell me what their parents did growing up. <laughs> yeah, oh, cool. All right, I'm going to have to check it out. Yes. Um, okay, so last question I ask everyone, um, what does living in a wellness wonderland mean to you? What comes up when I offer that term? Hmm. 
I think just being accepted for your journey and where you are and for change or for what you bring to the table, that one unique thing. And that's kind of where I am in terms of wellness right now is honing in on my one unique thing that I offer the world and allowing other people to find it. Mm, Amazing. I love that so much and I love everything you shared. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Katie. You're so kind and I love your work. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation and like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.